starting a new sermon series tonight. I've really been looking forward to it. And uh, we're going to call this new sermon series Real Identity or Real ID. Um, and my big tagline is, who needs a fake ID when you've got a real one? <laughs> and that's why I'm not a marketer. Um, so this is a sermon series I've been looking forward to for a really long time. And what I want to talk about is identity in Christ. Um, something that you will hear a lot of people mention in the church, but I don't think we've ever had a sermon series on it here in Connection or on Sunday morning. And so I'm really looking forward to digging into some truth from Scripture with you all and thinking about who we really are and what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so let me give you a little bit of the backstory on why we're doing this. Oftentimes people ask me, so what's your favorite thing about working with college students? And oftentimes my answer is, College was a really formational time of life for me. It's a time when uh, you move away from home, at least a lot of us do. I know we do have a few townies in here. But uh, you're living with new people. You're learning a lot about who you are. You're faced with new challenges. And for me, some of those challenges came as I was wrestling to figure out who I really was. Because when I was in high school, people knew me from the time I was a kid. I was an athlete. I was Jim's son. I was Andy's brother. And I had my place. I knew where I belonged. And then I came to college and people were like, oh yeah, like you're the runner? I think I've met 50 other runners here already. And I was like, well, who am I, you know? <laughs> and I had, man, I had it all planned out. I knew how it was going to go. I was going to be super successful. And boom, that did not happen. Um, and so sometimes when we come to college and we have these different experiences and challenges uh, that we're faced with, they really make us question our identity. They make us think about, who am I really? Like, what is at the center of who I am? Am I more than just what I, I accomplish? Am I more than just what I do? And I want to talk about that with you all. And uh, I kind of have to say right up front that I thought when I graduated college, all those questions would be cleared up for me by then. But these challenges are things that you're going to be faced with again when you graduate. And so part of my motivation in wanting to share this message uh, with you here these next, for six, these next six weeks on Christian identity is to prepare you for what's ahead. Because as you leave this place, you're going to need to seek community outside of the places that you founded here at IU. You're going to find a new church. You're going to have a career. And it is going to be really tempting to find your identity as a person in your career success or how significant you feel like what you're doing is. There are gonna be challenges that you face in relationships, whether that's dating, friendships, or marriage. And so I want you to consider who you really are. And I think scripture has some beautiful things to say to us about that. But I wanna share a little bit of my own story with you. I remember a time, about two years after I graduated from college, my wife and I had just moved to Tennessee where I took a new job. And it wasn't more than two or three weeks in this job where I found myself sitting in a master's class after work. And man, only two weeks into it, I knew this job was not my dream job. That reality hit me hard, but I couldn't just quit. I couldn't quit and I knew that God had called me there, but it was really hard, these questions of significance, these questions of, am I doing what God has created me to do? And can I be fulfilled as a person, even if I feel like I'm not quite in that uh, dream job right now. Those questions were hitting me hard. And I was sitting in this master's class and I'm like, wow, like why am I even in this class? Like this is not who I am. 
And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I find myself really busy, that's when I question these like big picture things about my life. It's kind of funny how that works out. This is really silly, but uh, in finals week, that's when I talk to the most amount of students about what job they want to do in the long term. Because it's really common where we get in these times where the pressure's turned up a little bit and we feel stressed and it's like, oh man, not only do I need to pass my finals, but I need to figure out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And so uh, maybe if you only take one thing away from this sermon, remember when you get to finals week, like take a deep breath. You can sort out your calling in life like next week. <laughs> so take some of that additional pressure off yourself. But here I was faced with this question of who am I really? I was married. My wife was really supportive. My parents were really supportive, but they could only support me so much. There were some things in my heart that needed to be sorted out, and I needed to know who I really was in Christ. Um, what's up, guys? Welcome. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that's my goal here for this sermon series, to cast this uh, vision for you on a biblical vision for identity, what it means to be people who find their identity in Christ. And guys, I'm really excited right now because we have more chairs out than we did for the past, like, three years, and we have more people showing up still, so that's kind of sweet. Um... And so in order to start this series and really think about what it means to be people who find our identity in Christ, we have to have a biblical worldview. And so I want to spend a few minutes with you now kind of going over what some people will call uh, the Christian meta-narrative, the biblical story. I want to talk about a perspective on who God is and who we are. And that's absolutely critical for us to do right now if we're going to understand the world and our place in it here. And so... Uh, the church, the evangelical Protestant tradition, has typically thought of this Christian meta-narrative, this biblical worldview, through the categories of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And I want to spend a few minutes now talking about those categories. And I think it will be really uh, clarifying for us in thinking about our identity as people who are in Christ. And so this starts at the very beginning of Scripture. In just Genesis chapter 1, God says this, uh, pardon me, on the sixth day, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And so, scripture is clear from the very beginning that men are, and women are created in God's likeness in this way that's unlike any other part of his creation. We're made for a relationship with him and for each other, but rather than living in this perfect community for which God created us, we and the rest of humanity, just like our first parents, Adam and Eve, have chosen to take the freedom that God's given us, and we've established ourselves in his place. You may have heard the Apostle Paul talk about this. He says in Romans chapter 1, Since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And then Paul goes on to say, Their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened, and that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. And so... Fall In our fallen state, we look past the truth to ourselves as the authority of our lives, and we look to ourselves for meaning rather than to God. 
our Creator. Our sin state affects us deeply, and Scripture shows us that God is holy. He's fully perfect. He's fully just. And our sin alienates us from Him, even when we try really hard to be good people and earn our way back through moral effort or religiosity. We just don't have the righteousness that He requires. And so further on in the letter of Romans, Paul says this, There's no one righteous, not even one. Not even that really sweet old lady who sits in the front row of church every week. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God, Paul says. And so, while our sin state affects us deeply, what's kind of tricky about it is that we don't even recognize it because sin is deceptive. A lot of us don't even see the impact that sin has on our lives because sin isn't just doing wrong things. It's making good things into ultimate things. We take things like relationships, success, significance, making a meaningful impact on the world, and we turn them into idols, things that will fulfill ourselves based on what we can do, what we can accomplish. You may remember, I shared this quote here in connection before. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard says this. He says, sin is building your identity, your self-worth and happiness on anything other than God. And so some of us look for our sense of identity, who we are, the most core part of our being. We look for that in self-fulfillment, YOLO, through fulfilling our heart's desires, seeking pleasure, giving everything that we have to accomplish our dreams, uh, and the realization that all people who make self-fulfillment their chief end is always an experience that never satisfies. We're created for more than we can find in ourselves. And so other people, they look for meaning in life, they look for fulfillment in their moral or religious performance, saying that what life is really about is living in a morally upright way, being a good person, or living in such a way that I can gain God's favor by my religious efforts. And that road is a trap as well, because our best intentions are never, fueled, are never fully pure, they're never pure. And even our best effort on our best day is never going to attain the righteousness of God. And so we all know we can't be perfect. We're well aware of that. And so what we do is create our own standards of righteousness, where we feel like if I can just achieve what I feel like I need to to be a good person, then that'll be enough. But the real kicker is we can never even achieve that. We can never satisfy ourselves. Our self-righteousness is never going to achieve the fulfillment that we so desire in our lives. Enough is never enough, and so we suffocate ourselves in self-righteousness, and we harm our relationships with others when we hold them to our standards. And so we're faced with the fact that we are hopeless in ourselves. We're created to find true life and meaning through relationship with God, but there is this insurmountable gap between He and ourselves because of our sin and His righteousness. And that is, that's heavy stuff. But in Romans chapter 3, Paul goes on to say, right after laying out that problem of sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we aren't without hope. And why is that? Because all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed before him unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. And so that's redemption, this piece here. 
In our lost state, God came to us with the rescue we needed. He redeemed us in Christ. He presented Christ as a sacrifice for our sin that we might be forgiven when we look to him in faith. That's what redemption is. And so God is fully just. Someone had to pay the penalty for our sin. But God is not only just, he's also immeasurably loving. He took the penalty for our sin upon himself. He paid it in the own flesh and blood of his very son, Jesus Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. Jesus paid it all that we wouldn't have to. And so Christianity isn't about people cleaning themselves up and coming to Jesus. It's not about us getting our behavior in line and then coming to God once we've got ourselves in a good place. Christianity is about God demonstrating his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When you experience the love of God that has nothing to do with you and solely by his grace, he's loved you, he's chosen to show his grace to you, man, that's going to change your behavior because you are transformed by the power of God and his love at work in your life. That's a beautiful reality. And so Jesus Christ, he is our hope. He's the hope of all people. He's the hope of our world. And to make sense of our lives, we have to locate ourselves and the true story of who God is, what he's done, and in his restoration, this final piece, we look forward to Christ making all things new and right, because that is going to happen. And as we wait for that, we have the privilege of being partners with Christ in his work in the world, his work of restoration and renewal. We make Jesus' name known. We proclaim the good news. We bring heaven to earth through compassion, justice, and peace. And we look forward to that day when Christ comes again. It's going to be like the ultimate Christmas morning. Man, when I was a kid, my parents had to set a rule when we could run into their rooms to open our stockings on Christmas morning because we would be up at like 4.30 in the morning with flashlights reading novels under the, under the covers of our beds because we'd be so excited. My parents were like, you cannot come into our room before 7 because we could not wait. If we only understood what it would be like when Christ came again, we'd be like kids hanging out with our flashlights waiting for Christmas morning. Because we can't even imagine like what a beautiful day that will be when Christ will restore the world in full. Things will be the way that he created them to be that day when he first created the universe. Perfect fellowship with God. Perfect fellowship with each other. All things will be made new. And so that's the biblical story. Creation fall, redemption, and restoration. And as we begin this Real Identity series, we have to find ourselves in that story. And so I want to ask you, where do you find yourself in this story? And if you've trusted, your, you've trusted Jesus in your life, your future is one of enjoying God's redemption and knowing the deep sufficiency of God's grace no matter what you experience. And it's one of participating in God's life-giving mission, bringing renewal and restoration until that day he does it in full. And if this story is new to you, I want to say to you, maybe you've never really understood it, or maybe there's been something in your heart that has kept you from wanting to acknowledge that it's true. Tonight would be the perfect time to find yourself in this story. It'd be the perfect time to trust Jesus and enter into it by faith. And what it takes is admitting that you're a sinner in need of God's grace. You have to humble yourself and do that. But the good news is good news for you. God's grace in Jesus Christ is a sufficient sacrifice for your sin. Will you trust him in faith? Are you ready for that? All it takes is a simple prayer right there, right where you are. And here you are, welcomed into God's family. I would love for that 
uh, to be the case for you tonight if you find yourself in that place. And if you would like to talk to someone about that, I'd love to chat about that with you after this service. I know any of our uh, ministry team members, could you guys raise your hands so you all know who they are? We've got a great ministry team. Those are all employee number ones. Um, and so I'd love it if you would chat with one of them or myself or Quinn. And so now, just for a few minutes, I want to introduce uh, how the good news really comes to bear on who we are. That's what this Real Identity series is about. And the majority of our teaching these next six weeks, that's how long our series is going to be, because we only have six more meetings until Thanksgiving break. How crazy is that? Um, we've, we missed one week for fall break, then we got six more meetings for Thanksgiving break. Um, and then after that, we've got three meetings before Christmas. So isn't it crazy how the year flies by like that? But for this series, we're going to base the majority of our teaching off of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. We're going to go through it in little chunks because this is so rich. It would be like, if I was to preach on all 14 verses, it would be like sitting down and trying to eat an entire cheesecake. You'd be like, dang, cheesecake is awesome, but this is so rich, I can't take this all in. And, uh, man, I don't want you to miss one bite. So we're going to go through this over six weeks. And next week, I'm going to go a little bit more in depth on our context. But what you need to know here for tonight is that the passage that we're going to be focusing on is the opening sentences of Paul's letter here in the church in Ephesus, and it's written in the form of a praise psalm. So you may not have known that there were psalms in the New Testament, but in Paul's letters, and even in Peter's, there are actually a few psalms. And this 14-verse chunk here of Ephesians is one of the longest psalms in the New Testament. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I want to show it to you. So here are the first three verses. Boom, boom, boom. And uh, here are the next 11. And I am well aware that that is a ton of text on the screen, but I want to keep it that way for a reason. I wanted you to see this because in the original Greek language that the Apostle Paul was writing in, these 11 verses were one long run-on sentence. Um, probably a Greek teacher's nightmare. <laughs> And so in these verses, Paul is praising God for his provision in Christ, and he's moving from one blessing to another and thinking about all that he has in Jesus. And Paul can barely contain himself. The psalm just goes on and on in this long run-on sentence. And so one commentator I read when I was preparing for this, he described the passage saying that it was like Paul was opening a treasure chest and lifting these treasures out one by one and like checking each one out briefly and with excitement, but so excited to see what else was in the treasure chest that he just kept moving on erratically. And so that's this passage that we're reading. And it's just, it's amazing. I'm really excited to study this together these next few weeks. And we'll dig into it deeper. But tonight I want to focus on just verse 3. Because this verse really gives us a summary for what it means to think about our identity in Christ. I think this is uh, just really valuable. And so Paul writes here, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so you see the phrase in Christ there at the end of this verse, and that actually occurs 11 times in the verses I had on the screen previously. Uh, what Paul means when he says that believers are in Christ is not that they are in him like tools are stored in a box or clothes are kept in a closet. Uh, he's not saying they're in there like separate entities. What he's talking about is believers being united to Christ. He's saying believers are in Christ like an arm or a leg is in the body or a branch is in the tree. He's talking about union with Christ. 
And he's saying that this connection, in this connection, followers of Jesus are blessed. They're immeasurably blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so the word he uses here when he says that we're blessed, this is really interesting. It's a translation of the Greek word eulogitos, which is where we get the word eulogy. And eulogy means to speak well of. To speak well of. So Paul is saying that in being united to Christ, God has spoken well of us. He's pronounced good things to be true of us. I love that. The good things that God speaks to us aren't like a friend coming, coming up to you and saying, I like your shirt. Uh, the things that God speaks of us in Christ are words that name who we are at the deepest level of our being. They're a proclamation of our new identity, our real identity, at the core of who we are. And so look at this passage. Paul says, in Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's saying, if you've trusted Jesus, there is nothing that you lack. And so he's calling a spade a spade here. And he says, in Jesus, God has provided for you in every single way that you needed it. You're chosen, you're forgiven, you're free, you're adopted, you're fulfilled, you're holy. You're being transformed by God's spirit inside of you. You're secure. We're blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And there's another little phrase in there that you see that we really can't ignore. Paul says that we're blessed in Christ in the heavenly realms. And so what does that mean? At first glance, it might make you feel like God's blessing of us in Christ is kind of nebulous and distant, but that's really not the case. This phrase actually makes God's blessing in our lives more real and tangible in the here and now. And here's why. It's because what Paul is really saying here is that when you are united with Christ, when you are in Christ, united with Him by faith, you may be here on earth physically, but spiritually you are already united with Christ in heaven. Your blessing in Christ is secure in a very safe place. Your soul is sealed in heaven. Who you are and what you will become is not up for grabs. I love the way the disciple of John expresses this. This is one of my favorite lines in scripture. Listen to the opening of 3 John. This is how he addresses the letter to his friend Gaius. He says, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and all that may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. How sweet is that? What he's saying is, I hope the rest of your life mirrors the fact that your soul is in a secure place, that your soul is in a safe place. I hope that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well with you. I'm going to start tagging that on the emails. Hey man, hope you had a good week, and I hope all is going well for you, even as it's going well for your soul, man. Like, this is beautiful truth. Our soul, we are safely secured at the core of our being. We are in Christ. And so in Christ, your blessing is in a safe place. You can look forward to the day when you'll be fully united with God in heaven, both physically and spiritually. But know that eternity is not up for grabs for you. Your soul is in a safe place. And I hope all may go well for you, even as well as it is going with your soul. And so this is an awesome summary for us as we go into this series of what it means to be people who are blessed in Christ. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing because God has spoken well of us in Jesus. He's made us who we really are. And I'm really excited to talk about that with you all over these next six weeks because this, uh, this truth, it's really powerful stuff. 
that story I was telling you earlier, when I was beginning this new job and I was really wrestling with my identity, what I want to tell you is what finally got me out of that funk wasn't coming to a situation where I was like, oh, now I love my job. Or, oh, here's a new job that God miraculously provided and I'm instantly out of this situation. My situation didn't change for three years and the things that were a struggle for me continued to be a struggle for me. But what changed me was I came to a new understanding of the gospel uh, through some strong Christian community and powerful teaching from my pastor and some Christian friendships that really spoke truth into my wife and my life. Uh, we came to see that the gospel wasn't just what brought us into God's family when we first heard the good news. The gospel was something that changed everything about the way we lived every single day because God's grace was sufficient for us no matter what we went through. And we serve a God who is a God of hope. No matter what we go through, he's the God of new life. And what I want to tell you is God's word is powerful. When you, when you talk about something like Christian identity... A lot of people might think, Christian identity, been there, done that. Yep, I'm a Christian, I know who Jesus is, and let's get into some thicker stuff. But what I'm going to say to you is, I believe that God's Spirit speaks through His Word. And God wants to speak to you in your life today in such a way that you'll know who He really is. And when you know who God really is, and His Spirit speaks to you through His Word, there is power to transform your life. And who you are at the core of your being is who God has made you to be in Jesus. And so it's my hope that he will speak truth to your heart, that he will transform you, that you will see that the gospel is not just good news for when you first believe it. The gospel has power for all of life, and it can absolutely transform the way that you walk through it for all of your days. And so I'm really excited about this. And uh, like Paul says there in this verse, he starts off saying, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he say that? Because he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And so, I want to conclude by saying, <coughs> I agree with Paul. There's no better way for us to conclude by praising God for what he's done for us in Jesus. And so I want to invite the band to come up. And they're going to lead us in two songs of worship. Guys, God has spoken well of us in Christ. And so let's speak well of him together as we sing these songs.